Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Hello listeners, it's Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and on today's show, I have William Anderson. Now, he is the chief level designer on some of the world's most famous and respected platformers. I'm talking Global Gladiators, Cool Spot, and the unforgettable Aladdin. He's also worked on other great titles such as Abe's Odyssey and much, much more. So listen to this great interview and hear about all the tricks of the trade, how to make great levels, and his amazing time working at Virgin Games and other amazing companies. Anderson here on Arcade Attack. It's really is a pleasure having you here uh, to talk to you. You helped make some of the most famous platformers, biggest games when I was growing up. So thank you so much for your time today. Do appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Um, I'd love to start from the beginning, if that's right, William. Um, what are your personal earliest memories or fondest memories of gaming while you're growing up? And how did you first get into the well, playing games, I should say? Um, actually, I, st- I started out um, with the uh, Atari 400 and then the Atari 800 home computers. Yep. And basically, like a lot of kids back then in the 80s, you know, I'd, I'd spend a lot of time at the arcades playing games. And But I didn't have a whole lot of money. So when we first got a computer, I was fascinated with what it took to actually make my own games. So, but there wasn't a lot of literature around about, you know, making your own games and programming and stuff like that. And I grew up in a, in a Big Bear Lake area of the mountains. So not a lot of access to technology. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so I basically had to teach myself how to program the the computer to figure out how to make my own games. And that's how I kind of got into it. So basically just taking ideas from the arcade, coming back home and, figuring out what I could make myself. Wow. A really, a really early age, you're still thinking of making games then. That's really impressive. Nice one. <laughs> yeah, I, I programmed my first game and released it when I was 15 years old. Wow. Really? What, what was the game called and what sort of game was it, if you don't mind me asking? It was, a, it was a little kind of a puzzle game called Diamond Hunter. And it was it was published by a kind of a shareware company called Dynacomp. Yep. Nice. And they uh, they basically sold through a little kind of a handout magazine that they would send out to people, and they would take little kind of shareware games and 
you know, charges a few bucks for like a disc full of games. And some games that be by itself and some would be like, you know, you get like six games for on a disc. Mm. Well, do you, I mean, how do you look back on that game now? Do you, was it the start? Well, obviously, it was the start of a huge career, but did you ever imagine working from day one working in the industry? Or? Uh, pretty much I was kind of hoping it would. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really understand the scope of it Yeah. because like a lot of people, you know, I, I get the gaming magazines and I'd read the articles and I'd, I'd kind of follow the, the different, you know, game projects that were going on and the different companies. But most of that kind of existed far beyond where I lived. So it was kind of hard to see how I would transition to that point. It was more of, you know, me just doing games on the side and sending them out to people and, and hoping one day it would just take off. Nice. Um, what was the the big sort of turning point for you, where you got your big break in the industry? Do you remember that? What was the first com- the sort of big company you worked for? Well, um, I was I was doing I I moved down the hill to a town called Corona. Yeah. And I, I was working as an auto mechanic at the time, but I was still designing games and programming games on the side and and sending them out to people to see what I could get going. And but my time schedule was pretty limited. So I actually started focusing more on the design side than the development side. Mm. So I actually started working on an RPG game design called The Wizard's Eye. And it was pretty elaborate. I did a, I did a document that was like 350 pages long of level designs wow. and AI charts and monster descriptions and all this stuff. And I was pretty, pretty much going to town with this because I really loved uh, Dungeons and Dragons at the time. And... Just just out of chance, I decided to take this design Bible I had, and looking back on it, it was pretty risky because I actually sent the only copy I had. <laughs> I didn't even have an extra copy of it. Um, I sent it out to Virgin Games. Wow, yeah. And I just I figured, you know, I send it to them and I say, you know, this is the design I have for this game. I'd like to work for you. I'd like to program this game. And you know, what do you think? And about a couple months later, uh, I get a call saying, you know. We'd like you to come down to Irvine and talk with the director. Nice. And so I figured, oh, okay, well, maybe they want to actually have me come in and program and do the skate for them. And I showed up there, and I saw I saw my design sitting on the floor, which didn't give me a whole lot of confidence <laughs> of why I was there. Yeah. Because <laughs> I figured if I was there to talk about that, you know, I'd be on the on his desk or something and yeah. start talking about it. And he goes. Um, I got your, I got your stuff. I got your document you, you submitted and we were really impressed. And he goes, um, how would you like to design a platform game? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was like, um, I haven't designed a platform game before. And, uh, he reached to the floor and pulled up my design document and said, anybody that can design, design this can design a platform game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, he says, well, we got this license for CoolSpot. Wow. And, and I need a designer to basically take it on and get it going. That's amazing. And, uh, so pretty much from there on, it was history. Uh, I waited uh, probably a couple more weeks and got an offer letter in the mail and said, you know, come join us. That's great. I mean, Virgin Games, huge, huge company and CoolSpot. I mean... I know you made games in the past, but Cool Spot is a pretty big game to really get your teeth into. I mean, that must have been pretty amazing at the time. 
Yeah, and it was it was really bizarre because I had to kind of learn all over again because I had to I had played platform games before, yeah. but I never actually saw myself designing platform games because I really liked the strategy games. Hmm. Um, so really, it was kind of having to take all of my design experience that I had built up doing those RPG games in the past and go, okay, how do I design an action oriented side view platform game? Yeah. You know, around this, around this little dot of a character. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a good, good question to be fair. I mean, um, I'd love to know, William, I'd love to, if you could run through us, maybe the early days, when, what's a typical day for you when working at Virgin as a level designer? I mean, was there a lot of works, on the computer was it more sketches and draw pads notes what exactly went was a typical day well the the thing that i kind of brought to virgin which wasn't really going on at the time was um they had never actually had a dedicated game designer before mm. i was actually the very first hired by virgin um up until then the lead artist on a project would be the one who would design the games and then the programmer would implement it um but I would actually come in and do the diagrams and document out the the levels literally tile by tile of yeah. how it would play with, you know, charts and diagrams of arrows of, wow. you know, where they go, how they move, how they jump, how far they can jump, how high they can jump and stuff like that. So it was, it was really a, a different thing. And to be honest, the, the first, um, first few months at Virgin was very trying because I wasn't welcomed. (laughs) Really? Honestly? (laughs) No, because I was kind of bucking the culture because um, the artists and the programmers that were there didn't like the idea of somebody coming in whose only job was to think about the gameplay. Mm. Uh, They typically, the, the artist on the project was the designer, and that's the way the culture had been created and not just for Virgin. I mean, pretty much every game studio that existed at the time, yeah. that was kind of the model is you had the artist who would be the visionary come up with, you know, the graphics and how things would work and the programmer would actually make it work. So, uh, so there was, there was a lot of butting heads um, when I first got there and only once the game design started rolling off my drafting table and I started actually putting them in front of the, the artist did they start realizing that, hey, this saves me a lot of time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I don't have to guess about where things need to go, how things are. And the level designs I was doing at the time literally took up walls, the entire walls of the mm. studio, uh, because I would actually document them out in full tile by tile format. So they could actually walk into my office and walk down the halls of the studio. And they could play through it in their mind how each segment of the level was going to work. Yeah. And so they, they realized the real benefit of that. It's incredible. Once that yeah. happened, Sorry, yeah, things got a lot easier. It's an incredible role. I think sometimes we forget um, in the gaming industry how important this role is. Um, how, what sort of percentage of your time was spent behind a computer and behind like drawing these, these diagrams out? Um, it was it was always split because at the beginning of all productions, what I would do is um, I was responsible for actually coming up with the design bible. Yeah. Which at the time, compared to the design bibles we create now and the ones I create now, were pretty primitive. I mean, they were you know 
maybe five pages, 10 pages long. Mm. Um, so they weren't very, very detailed. But then I would actually break out the drafting table. I'd grip, break out grid paper. I'd tape it all together. And I had a, I had a special drafting table created just for Virgin, which was actually two drafting tables that I had built side by side yep. because my levels were so huge. One drafting table wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, how long when, was there like a moment when you, when you fought? I'm accepted now at Virgin. Was there a point or was it just a gradual thing where, when you were part, when you felt really part of the team there? Well, when the, when the initial level designs uh, started going through the art process and, and we actually started like, cause uh, cool spot was the one game I was hired to do, mm. but because there was licensing conflict between seven up and the marketing company who owned cool spot, yeah. they couldn't make up their mind what they wanted to do. So Martin Albert, who was the CEO of Virgin, basically said, the hell with them. Um, we're putting Cool Spot on hold because they can't make up their mind what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I was moved over to Global Gladiators, which was a McDonald's license. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when that project came in, that's when David Perry came over from the UK to be the lead programmer on the project. And that was, that was the same situation with him is – I had with other people at the studio at the time, he didn't really see the need for me. He had an artist he worked with in the UK who wanted to come to the United States, but hadn't come yet. So he didn't know how I was going to work with the whole process. And only when I walked in with literally, I think it was like a 12 foot long level design for the first level of global gladiators and rolled it down on this big table. Did he go, Okay, I see this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we, I've I've had the honour of um, interviewing, albeit only a text interview to be fair, with David Perry, and he's a he's a smart man. He's a top of his field, isn't he? And impressing David Perry, I mean, that that's that's a big thing, especially in your early career. I bet. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's you know he's one of the sharpest people in the industry. I kind of wish he was still you know, programming games, but yeah. you know, he's worked on, worked on, to, moved on to bigger and better things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> w- so you, your first finished game for Virgin, was that Mick and Max Global Gladiators then? Was that the first game you finished? Uh, Global Gladiators. Yeah. That was yeah. the first one we did. Well, you know what? We, we did a podcast on that game or the McDonald's games a, a while back. And, you know, as, as we, yeah, we've just fans here really, to be fair, but we, we actually like the game. we, we commented in the podcast that we, the, the, it was, it was above the typical platformer. The levels are brilliant. And just speaking to you now, William, it's quite, I'm, I'm getting a sense of it now. I mean, what, what was it like working on that particular game anyway? Um, actually it was pretty exciting because once, once I had established a, a format for how I was going to design the first world out, then it was easy to kind of go through and go, okay, this is going to be the next world and the next world and the next world. Hmm. And, it was, it was really a fun game. I mean, everybody had a blast working on it. I mean, we all learned. That's how what we call the global team, which was uh, basically myself, David Perry, uh, Christian Lawson, and Mike Deeks. We were, yeah. we were the core A team at Virgin at the time. That's how we came to be and kind of learned how to work with each other. And once that came together and everybody loved it and – we had enough levels together where people were getting really excited. The magazines were getting excited because mm. we'd, we'd send out teasers and stuff and they'd come back and they're like, this is awesome. This is great. Um, 
The, the only problem we really had with that problem is um, with McDonald's themselves mm. because um, what most people don't understand is McDonald's is kind of a layered corporation. Like we have, you know, so many different stacks of management at that company is as we were submitting SKUs to McDonald's, they were like, we love it. We love it. We love it. We think it's great. We think it's great. Um, and they were going to do this huge promotion with this Mick and Mac magazine that was going to be sent out to all the McDonald's and, you know, everybody be able to see it and get promos for it and all this other stuff. And then literally it was like we had the, the last level done. Everything was put together and it was finally submitted to the CEO of the company yeah. to look at. And he went nuts. Oh, <laughs> Because uh, one of the levels we had in the game was an environmental level where you're fighting against beavers who are tearing down the rainforest. Yeah. And what we didn't know is McDonald's owns one of the largest lumbering companies in the world. Wow. And uh, the sea goes, uh, we can't do this. This is inviting uh, a lot of problems. <laughs> So he literally called up Martin Albert and said, um, I'm not going to green like this if, unless you literally rip out three, three of the levels, you know, oh, literally the whole forest level of the wow. game. And Martin said, the hell we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically it, it got published with everything that we had planned and McDonald's put out a few little teasers of the game, but basically – Yank whatever promotion they were initially promising to do. I mean, what, what's your view on that? Do you, you do you kind of understand McDonald's views, or do you think that was a pretty out of order thing to do last minute? I think it was more paranoia than anything else because yeah. I don't think I don't think environmentalists really were going to play a video game with McDonald's in it and care. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a fair point. I, I agree. Um, it must be weird actually working at Virgin. Your your first title is with Seven Up, then McDonald's. I mean. Were you expecting working in such sort of licensed environment? I mean, it must have been quite incredible. Well, it's it's liberating in some ways and a pain in the ass in others because <laughs> it's it's liberating because you don't really have to establish a starting point because yeah. you have assets that come in and say, here's here's what you have to work with. Now make it fun mm. um, versus coming up with an original concept and going, okay come up with a new idea, make sure it's fun, make sure everything works. So in some ways that works. On the flip side of that, and really what kind of drove me into creating my own design company, Awakened Games, was I got tired of licensors screwing up my products. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, later on I would go to work for a smaller studio where I would, I would hit that in a big way when I did a game for hotel for dogs okay, and you know, I literally had a producer come in and gut the whole concept because he was more interested in pleasing the licensor than making a good game. Yeah. And, you know, and ended up, you know, sabotaging the effort because in some ways I think the game would have probably made more money than the movie did. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a massive game, a massive movie, was it? <laughs> oh, look, I like Global Gladiators. I think it's a it's a good platformer. Um, I think you should be very proud of it. What was the next game you made after that? Was it Cool Spot? Was that back on the agenda? Well, Cool Spot came back uh, once uh, Global Gladiators hit big, and we had the magazine covers and the and the positive reviews and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, 
McDonald's and the licensing company basically came back and says, we don't give a darn about what you want to do. Just do it. Oh, wow. Well, it just shows <laughs> so you. No yeah. More, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So there was no, there was no more debate about what we want you to do. It was like Global Gladiators was a hit game. Uh, we see all the positive press. You know, you guys are sitting on our license. Do something with it. And what people don't know, too, is um, Cool Spot was a free license to us. We didn't pay McDonald's nothing like for that. Seven Up, you mean, sorry. Yeah, yes. Well, it's it's owned by Seven Up and it's also owned by a marketing company. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's where a lot of the, the trouble came from initially is McDonald's and the licensing company couldn't come to an agreement on what they wanted to make or wanted us to make. Right. So after Global Gladiators came out and it was successful, basically they they came back and said, "Just make a game. We don't care. Just make it." <laughs> you uh, yeah, you proved your stripes. You, you you obviously knew what you were doing. Um, yeah. What's your personal opinion on Cool Spot? I mean, it's it's a classic platformer. It's polished. It looks great. Um, what what are your views as a personal way of looking at it? Well, it's it's always going to be one of my favorites because it's it's more whimsical than a lot of the other games that I would do in the future, mm. and I, I kind of like the more playful aspect of it. Mm. And the the other thing that I really liked about it is it was it was more groundbreaking to Virgin Games on the aspect that it was the first game where we had started hiring uh, animators out of Disney style studios yeah. to work with us. So as you can see from the fluidity of the character, it, it looks Disney animated because we actually have Disney quality animators working on it. Wow. Was, was that a coincidence that you would later go on to work on Disney, uh, licenses? Was that just, was that a pure coincidence then? Well, I, I think it was a snowball effect of yeah. the positive press that came from Globe Gladiators and Cool Spot. And I think they also, they liked the idea that um, not only were we coming out with hit games, we were coming out with them pretty fast mm. because uh, Global Gladiators, it took us about six and a half months to do. Cool Spot took us uh, four and a half months to do. Mm. And Aladdin took us three and a half months to do. Wow. I mean, that is a quick turnaround for, you know, trip away games, really, high quality games. Yeah. Brilliant. So actually, uh, after Cool Spot, they came to us with Jungle Book. Yeah. And so that was that was the one that I moved on to next. And um, I'd gone through and done the design Bible and did like four level designs and started laying out the levels, doing the tile work and all that stuff. And around that time, um, that's when the Aladdin project popped up on us. Absolutely amazing. Um, I'll come to Aladdin in a second. That's all right, William. I've got one final question on Cool Spot. I'd love to know if you think there's room for it to be sort of uh, rebooted. I mean, Cool Spot, huge game, very popular. The character was well-liked. Do you think there's any scope for a brand-new Cool Spot game? Um, there is, uh, and I actually have tried to reach out to the uh, the licensing company and 7-Up, and the problem I have is that nobody there really knows the state of the license, mm. of where, you know, how much... 7up still owns or how much the the marketing company still owns and there's some some confusion about if the marketing company was dissolved or sold and so it's it's kind of in that gray area yeah. that you you're not sure what you would what you have rights to actually work with such a shame isn't it because <laughs> yeah i'd like to see it brought back personally i think it's a it's a great great platformer 
Yeah, and it, and it brought a lot of publicity to 7-Up, too. They said in many ways the game brought more coverage to them than the commercial did. That's incredible, isn't it? Um, you, by now, you, you got, actually, how about t- the Terminator? When was that made in your in your uh, resume? Was that before or after Cool Spot? Well, it's, um, it definitely came in after Cool Spot because what had happened was David Perry had already worked on a, a Terminator license when he was in the UK. Yeah. Uh, working for, I think, Probe, if I remember right. Um, and the Terminator license came in because they wanted to do a game on the Sega CD. Oh, okay, yeah. And so they brought in a programmer who was going to work with me on the Sega CD. So I did the design Bible and I did some level designs for that um, while we were still working on other projects. And it was it was kind of a slow roll for a while, but I, I kind of kept getting bounced around from project to project because right. I was the senior designer for the studio, and I was also helping to manage the other younger designers or new designers that had come into the studio. So I was responsible for, you know, training them, equipping them, you know, making sure they were working on the right things, the right projects, the right levels, mm. and work with the artists in the right way. So I was kind of in that senior designer slash help management side of things. <laughs> so I was, I was jumping around doing, okay, now do the design Bible for this. Okay. Now we're going to send this out to the marketing company. Okay. Now do the, do the design Bible for, you know, Robocop versus Terminator. Wow. And now now work on this one. <laughs> work on that one. <laughs> so you had your fingers in a lot of pies. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And then even, uh, you know, uh, out of this world came in and they wanted to put that on Sega CD yeah, and uh, and I was I was literally arguing with management because they wanted to do a straight port to Sega CD, and I told them it was too short of a game. Yeah, and and, and it was a hard thing to prove at the time unless you have somebody sit down and actually play through the game. Yeah, so I had the playtest department actually play it from beginning to end on video. I took that video home. And over the weekend, I laid out all of the levels in that game on paper. And then I basically pasted it up on my wall, brought in management, and says, that's the game. Mm. And they looked at it and said, oh, crap, it's too short. <laughs> <laughs> we In the UK, I think we know it as another world. It's called Out of This World in the yeah, US, another, isn't it? Another world, yeah. I, I'm, a huge, then, yeah I'm a huge fan then, of the game. Do you actually like the game itself? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was my inspiration for doing Abe's Odyssey. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice one. So uh, uh, yeah. so what they did is they the uh, creators of that game didn't actually have a design Bible for it. So yeah. they actually flew them from the UK to Virgin in Irvine to meet with me so I could give them the designs that I did for their game so they could take that back to the UK <laughs> and know where to splice in new levels. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and they made the um, oh, it's 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 lost me. It's, it was like the um, the game based on um, the, the alien story, wasn't it? So you were involved in that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the sequel to Another World, basically. Yeah, which I think was a Mega CD exclusive. If I remember correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, the name of it's lost me now. That's that's incredible. I mean, you've worked, you've had your, <laughs> you've had your input in so many respected, well known games. It, it must be must be incredible. Looking back, really, <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite a ride. <laughs> um, we Aladdin, um, arguably, well, not arguably, it's it's up there, isn't it? It's up there being one of the best, most respected Mega Drive games. Not even just a platform Mega Drive games. Were you involved in um, the level design for that game as well? Then, 
Um, I was the senior game designer on Aladdin and uh, managed the two other level designers who worked on the project because we only had three and a half months to do it. So it was literally all hands on deck, full art department, full everything. Uh, we sent our lead uh, artist animator, Mike Deeks, out to Florida yeah. to actually work with uh, Disney's animation team and the original assets for the movie to yeah. create original stuff that we were going to use for the game. Um, and that was kind of a hit and miss on that because once we shrunk them down, we still had to funnel all of those characters through our art department here locally in Irvine to clean them up because mm -hmm. once they were shrunk down, you know, they, they pixelated the, so badly that they had to be redone, a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, Aladdin, you know, it's it's up there. Um, what was it like working with Disney then? And um, were you involved in both the SNES and Mega Drive version? Uh, no, only the Sega Genesis version was the one that came out of Irvine. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, version. Yeah. And that's that's the definitive version, isn't it, I think? I think it's, it's renowned for being the better version. Um, well, what, what happened with that was it was kind of funny because we didn't find out until later that uh, what had happened was when we were working on Aladdin is Disney took that to Capcom. Mm. I believe it was Capcom that did the, the SNES version and realized that their game didn't compare. So they literally scrapped the SNES version and started over <laughs> when they saw what we were doing. That's a compliment, isn't it? That is a really big <laughs> compliment in itself. Um, I mean, what, what, what are your personal views? Do you think Aladdin for you was your peak? It's, it is so well respected. It's, it looks, it ties in so nicely with the game. How, how is it ranked for you in your personal, uh, you know, looking back at your highlights in your, in your career? Well, I think, I think for that, for that generation of game systems, um, I think that was the peak. Yeah. of the games that I'd done on those platforms. Um, as far as kind of taking a bridge in more of the, the platform strategy side of things, I think Abe's Odyssey is one of the ones that I'm, I'm proud of too. Yeah, that's a great game. But And then uh, when I did uh, Maximo Ghost of Glory is probably the next evolution because that was the time when I went from doing your typical side scroller to a 3D platformer game. Mm. No, yeah, I think that's a great answer. All good games you mentioned are definitely. Um, what was it like working for David Perry? I mean, he worked at Virgin Games for, for a few years, then he went on, didn't he, to create Shiny Entertainment. What, what was it like working with David uh, during, during that part of your career? Um, it was very educational because um, he, he had industry experience mm. a lot more than I did because you know, Virgin was pretty much the start for me. Um, so he had been around for a while and was more educated in, you know, how to, how to work in a studio and how to kind of navigate the politics and how things were going like that. So it was, it was pretty inspirational and he's an absolutely brilliant programmer. Yeah. I mean, by far, I mean, he would, he would see things, you know, most people wouldn't, you know, and just go, you know, do this. And even, even when I was working on cool spot, you know, he, he literally came to me and he said, um, I don't know how you're going to do it. Just do it. <laughs> it goes, create, create me a level where, um, where cool spots going to roll and he can jump out of this roll. But if he stops rolling, he's going to go back into this perpetual machine where he's like rolling again. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll make that all. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Are you still in contact with David um, and the old team back at Virgin? Um, they're all they're all part of my network. Yeah. Um, and but a lot of them have moved on to other things. Some are working on movie projects. Uh, David Perry, you know, he he went on to Geica, yeah. and now he's I think he's working with another game studio. Uh, it's kind of uh, I'm not sure if it's like management or more of kind of a mentorship. Hmm. No, good stuff. I mean, you you've worked with some real legends in your time, I'm sure. And yeah, fair play to you. With um, you're the man to ask. Okay. In your opinion, what do you think are the most important ingredients to making and designing a really top class level in a video game? What's the main What's the main sort of uh, magic uh, answer for, for that question? Uh, research, mm. you know, research stuff that's out there that works. Um, don't don't overstretch. Don't try to recreate the wheel. Just try to take the wheel that exists and make it better. And and a lot of planning. You know, plan out things, draw, do a lot of notes, do a lot of diagrams and, you know, don't, don't be afraid to spend the time, you know, trying to figure out what's going to feel right. And then pacing, because that's mm. pacing. So one thing that a lot of game designers don't really get is that, you know, just like with a movie, if you, if you watch successful movies, they're paced very well. Mm. And, and that's one of the things I, I studied when I got into working for Virgin is I literally, because I was trying to figure out what made things successful. And the only really reference I had was movies. So what I would do is I would take movies like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff like that and E.T. and I would I would take a stopwatch mm. and I would go through that movie and I would I'd literally write down uh, when action sequences started, ended, when there was dialogue, when there wasn't, you know, where there were the highest lows. And I started to realize that for every successful movie, there's a, there's a successful pattern to it mm. of, of highs and lows of action of non-action of dialogue, of non-dialogue of music, you know, and drama. And I started realizing that that could be applied to making video games as well. And that, that was a good, you know, educational thing that I try to teach designers too. It's, you know, pace things out because you're dealing with an audience. You're dealing with a person. And you don't want action, 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 action all the time unless it's a very short, like, mobile game. You know, if it's like a PC game, it's fine to have action, pauses, action, pauses. Yeah. You know, and, you know, have them think every once in a while. Don't just have them shoot all the time. Brilliant. You nice. know, so that's, that's the one thing I try to teach is just pace things out to a human. You know, not not to a robot, not somebody who's just going to pound on it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, great advice. When you start work on a video game, let's say Cool Spot or Aladdin, do you always start from level one and you think about how you get to the first boss, then level two, or do you sort of design all these levels and put them together at the end? How exactly does that process work for each game? Actually, what I what I like to do is I like to take out like uh, grid paper or yellow pad, yep. and um, what I do is I, I do what's called a pie in the sky design process where I don't think about the level. I don't think about how things are fitting together. What I'm literally doing is just writing down a complete brain dump of, of ideas, of mechanics, of things that I think would be really cool mm. in that type of genre of game. If, if, if it's medieval or, you know, a shooter game or a platform game or if it's cartoony or not just come up with a, just a smorgasbord of ideas. 
And then, then I start and I go through each level one by one, usually starting with the first, and then I'll skip to the end because uh, I want people at the end of the game to feel as satisfied as the beginning. Yeah. So, so it's like beginning and, and then I go through and I use my, my palette of all the game ideas that I came up with that pie in the sky process to figure out what's going to fit in each of these different areas. That's, yeah, no, that's a really good answer. Really appreciate that. Um, it, what, what's your favorite? It doesn't have to be the favorite game necessarily, but have you got a favorite character you've worked with in the past? You've re- really felt, uh, connected with and is there a particular level in any of the games you worked on when you're thinking, this is my personal favorite? Not necessarily your favorite game, but your favorite character uh-huh. at a level. Favorite character in a game? Well, in the 2D, I have to say Cool Spot. Yeah. I, I like that one the most. And um, I can't really say it because I, I, I like that game as kind of a whole. So it's kind of hard to pick one level out of there and say that's my favorite. The train one's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Good um, stuff. And I, I have to say, Maximo and, and Maximo Ghost Glory is one of my favorite characters to work with. I, I wanted to push that more, but there was there was a lot of politics around when I designed that game because um, I wanted it to be a remake of Ghouls and Ghosts. Oh wow! And I was told on no uncertain terms from Capcom Japan not to go there <laughs> Wow! because the, uh, pro- the problem that a lot of Japanese companies have is uh, a lot of their staff come and go and they're not always sure who owns the rights to things. Hmm. So I think they were kind of paranoid that we might be crossing into some legal territory that they didn't want to cross into. Um, but I still did it in my way and it still turned out to be a, what Capcom now calls a homage to <laughs> <laughs> Ghouls and Ghosts, but not a Ghouls and Ghosts game. <laughs> what's what's the name of the game? Sorry, Maximo Ghost of Glory. Okay, I have to, I'll check that out. We're definitely that's very interesting. Um, I don't know if you can answer this question, but was was there ever a conceited effort by Virgin or any other sort of uh, companies you work for to secure licenses from McDonald's, Disney, Seven Up, or were they approached by the companies themselves? Or was it a bit of both? Um. I, I think it pretty much because it wasn't an area that I was mm. really close to, but I always got the impression that Martin Albert would actually go out there and he would seek uh, to get these. Yeah. Um, later on, I think as as the industry grew and these companies started realizing that the video games could raise the visibility of licenses, yeah. that we saw a lot more licensors actually come to game companies to kind of ask them to work with them. Yeah. But yeah. I think in the in the early days, it was a lot of the studios going out there and trying to secure these properties. And, you know, Virgin, you know, to get Cool Spot for free was pretty good. That <laughs> is pretty good. <laughs> um, I mean, you've worked in a lot of places, and we mainly spoke about Virgin today, obviously, but, you know, that was such an iconic company. What was it like working there? Why? What was your next step after Virgin? Um, actually, I was re- after David Perry had left mm. to form Shiny. Um, I was recruited away to work for Spectrum Polybite in the Bay Area mm. as what they called manager of cartridges design, which basically was 
kind of the same job I had at Virgin, just with more pay and a fancier title. <laughs> um, but uh, that was that was kind of a blunder on my behalf because I, I didn't understand the politics that were going on at the time, uh. or or the understanding that I should have kind of done some more research on how stable Spectrum Holobyte was at the time, mm. because mm. literally like three and a half months after I got there, they merged with MicroPros and laid everybody off. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not good. To, what was your next step after that then? You've, I mean, you worked for some huge companies. What was, what was after, after that? Well, I went, I went to a small studio in Central California called Alexandria Incorporated. Yeah. And I, I worked on a platform game called Izzy for the 96 Olympics. Oh, okay. Which was a, another platform game. Um, and that was published by U.S. Gold. Yeah. And there, there I was senior game designer and design coordinator, which basically meant I, I kind of oversaw the other designers working on other projects. So I got to, I got to help out, you know, managing people on, uh, Demolition Man, Dino Blaze, and a few other projects. And, uh, that's around that time is when Alexandria was bought out by, a company called CPTV, yeah, who was was also talking to Sherry McKenna and Lauren Lanning about forming another game company, uh, which would become Oddworld Inhabitants. And that's where AIDS Odyssey came out. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Because um, after I'd finished up those projects, I was getting ready to leave Alexandria because, to be honest, I wasn't paid very much. <laughs> <laughs> And I was I was kind of looking for my my next step up, and they were they were also having a lot of trouble securing the next projects to work on. Yeah. So I was kind of worried that you know they, they might end up loading, which eventually they did. And um, when CPTV and Lauren Landing found out I was getting ready to leave through a recruiter, um, Lauren Landing came over to Alexandria and said. Um, the only reason we came to the central California is we want you to design the gameplay for Abe's Odyssey wow. uh, because we were really impressed when we came out here to, to meet with you and we don't want you to leave it. And so they were like, well, what do we do? And so there was, there was kind of an oddball agreement that we had that I would, I would work on for odd world doing the gameplay design for Abe's Odyssey. Yeah. But I would stay at Alexandria as design coordinator and senior game designer because they were afraid that if I left, there'd be an exodus from the studio. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's quite a good problem to be in. It shows you're wanted. It shows you're respected, William. But it must be a bit odd to work in that sort of you know, yeah. atmosphere. Um, I mean, I've got your list of companies here. It's absolutely incredible. Namco, Capcom, Freedio, Midway. I mean, you've... You name it, you've worked for some huge companies. We could spend all day talking about these, but in a nutshell, have you got like a personal favorite company that you love working at and you most enjoyed? Um, most enjoyed working for. Um, I still have to go back to Virgin. Yeah. 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 Because I, I don't know if it's out of nostalgia because, you know, at the time we were, we were a small family of developers. You know, we were very passionate, very hungry. The industry was new. Everything was exciting. Um, you know, and we, you know, we had the magazine stuff mm -hmm. coming in. We had magazine people showing up and, you know, and it was, it was just a really, really exciting time, which, you know, it's in many aspects really won't be seen again. 
mm. because the industry has changed so much that 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 kind of renaissance is behind us. Mm. I mean, it'd be nice to see it come again in some fashion, but with mobile apps and, and games being sold for 99 cents or being given away for free, you know, it's it's really hard to see that ever coming back. Yeah. Those times. Yeah, that's it. Well, I agree. It's important to look to the past, but it is a shame, isn't it? That the industry has evolved, I think, almost unrecognizable, isn't it, over the years? Generally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and the, the sad thing is, is, you know, while, while the public relishes in the free games and the, hmm. and the 99 cent games and stuff like that, what they, what they lost is we can't develop the same way we used to because yeah. you can't, hire a staff for free. Yeah. You know, so if, I mean, in the old days we could have a team of four to six people, then it went 12 and then 20 <laughs> and then 50 and, you know, EA, you know, hundreds of oh, people to work yeah. on a game and you, you cannot do that for free. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of yeah. course. Um, I, about a month or so ago, I spoke to Bruce Shelley. He, he was, I think he had a similar role to you actually working with Sid Meier's sort of designing games. And he, he gave some really good advice about how to get into the, well, about his sort of role. What would you say, William, about how can people think about getting into, you know, game design? Is it, is there still a job out there for this, do you think, in this industry right now? I, I think there is. Um, but I think the approach has changed, uh, to the point where, um, the one thing we have now that we didn't have back then is we have, um, Unreal. We have, you know, mm. Unity 3D. We've got Game Maker Studio. We've got, we've got all of these different tools and a smorgasbord of art tools that we could have only dreamed about yeah. back, back in the old virgin days. And I, I think the avenue for a lot of up and coming designers, developers nowadays is you got to be multi-talented. You've got to be mm. able to understand these new game development systems. And there's reason, no reason not to because you can download a lot of this stuff for next to nothing and, and learn it. And there's, there's videos on YouTube, you know, all over the place on how to program in Unity 3D or Unreal. Mm. And put together your demos, put together something you're passionate about, one level demo, something exciting, something fun, and shop that around and let that be your resume. Mm. That's a good advice. I like that. Um, William, I don't want to offend you, but you're probably best known for your platforming games. Now, you said even earlier in the interview that it wasn't really an area of games you're particularly interested in. Obviously, I'm assuming that changed over the years working these games. You became much more interested in, in that as a genre. Um, does that annoy you a little bit that you didn't get the opportunity to work on a lot of other different types of games like RPGs? Or wh wh how do you reflect on that statement? I, d I don't want to offend you. <laughs> Oh, no, no. I mean, it it has come up because over the years I have been turned down for jobs that I really wanted that oh, really? I thought I could do a fantastic job on, including doing, you know, Command and Conquer style games, which I wow. would love to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, literally they look at my resume and say, platform game, platform game, platform mm. game, platform game. And it's like, oh, great. So <laughs> Like a double-edged sword, I bet, in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, a very rewarding career, but in many ways it pigeonholed me into a genre that, you know, and I like learning new stuff mm. and working on different game concepts, but 
it pigeonholes you and eventually, you know, people look at you through that lens as, oh, well, he's mm. a great platform game guy. And of course, the other the other problem I had, and even when I did Maximo Ghost of Glory, which is a, a 3D platform game, mm. is um, people didn't expect it because I'd done so many 2D platform games. It was mm. like, okay, you can't do 3D because you've never worked in 3D before. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I got a lot of that. You know, it's like, I don't want to hire you to design a 3D game for us because you've designed all these 2D games. Mm, that's... Yeah, that's a, you can see what you can see in a way, but it's also quite um, sort of closed mind as well, isn't it? But yeah, no, that's a, that is fair enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you had the, have you had the chance to work on any of your dream games? I know you've got your own studio now. Is that your, has that been your opportunity now to to work on the games you're really interested in? Well, yeah, I'm I'm going back to and. You know, looking at some of the old classic games and collecting a lot of the old magazines that I that I literally kind of grew up in the industry with, mm. and look, looking at game concepts back then and trying to figure out how I can bring them back to life. Mm. Uh, I'm also working on a game design for a CNC uh, space game of you know that that I'm just going to basically just do like I did with the Wizard's Eye and just create this massive design bible nice. and then shop that around and say you know this is. My my dream RPG game. <laughs> so, but uh, the nice thing about having my own company is that I have the freedom to do that. Yeah. And I also have the freedom to talk to different companies, and they bring in concepts and say, you know, this is what I have. Um, we need somebody to actually flesh out the design. You know, take it from concept to to material. Yeah. And it gives me the freedom to do that, and it also gives me the freedom to look at the politics behind it and go, you know. Is this just pie in the sky? Because there's there's a lot of guys out there who dream of doing these games, but they don't really have the knowledge of how to bring the money together, the mm. resources, or anything else, and be able to to put it together. And I've even had movie stars come to me and and go, you know, I've got this this great idea for wow. you know this video game, and then you you have to kind of break it to them and go. You know, it's not really that great of an idea. Oh, no. or it, it's it's been done before. It's like you wow. know, you're you're basically recreating something, or worse, you have to tell them, you know, you're going to need a five million dollar budget for something like that, and then they kind of go, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Making wow. a game that big and cheap. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for names, even though I really want to, but it does sound really interesting. Um, I mean, what's your when you play? Do you ever do you personally still play games for fun? And if so, do you Kind not kind of avoid platformers because you you're so ingrained with that sort of genre. Is that what's your? You said strategy earlier. Is they, they your sort of favorite games to work to play? Uh well, uh, right now I'm playing the Eight Bit Army game because I like that one. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. And but uh, yeah, I kind I kind of jump around and kind of look at uh, kind of the trends of seeing what's going on and, and try to see what's exciting because you know I was looking at the. I've got one called a game called Flappy uh, Daffy Fish, mm. which is a, a flying fish game, and you know that's that's inspired by the 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 other I won't say the name <laughs> yeah. Flappy game out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was that was more of kind of me just doing something for fun to kind of look at it and go, you know what? What if I take that and just add something just a little bit different to make it a little more complicated, a little more interesting? So. Nice. But yeah, I, I still do that, and I kind of look out there. But 
I've, I've got probably eight different projects sitting on my board here that I'm, I'm going through and I'm going, okay, do this one, do this one. <laughs> <laughs> and your company's called, is it Awaken Games? Is that right, William? Yeah, Awaken Games. And you've got a website. Is that, would you mind just telling our listeners in case I want to check it out? Oh, awakengames.com. Nice one. Okay. Yeah. I'm and, definitely going to keep... thing I, the one thing that uh, your listeners should know too is, um, one of the things I've been passionate about ever since I started working for Virgin Games, and it's been a kind of a personal philosophy for oh, yeah. me, is pass on what I've learned. Yeah. And there's a section on my website where you can actually go in and look at all of the game designs I've done for nearly every game design oh. I've done since Virgin. Well, that's, that's very generous of you because a lot of people, I'm assuming, would keep that secret and hidden from, <laughs> from rivals or, you know, it's your hard work. But that's very nice of you to share that. Good on you, William. Fair play. Well, it's, it's you know, some, some people might look at it and say, oh, you're, you're giving away secrets. But it's not. It's just mm. I, I, can't, I can't really teach you the discipline that came behind it. Mm. But I can, I can show you what was the output. And you can you can kind of look at it and see my process. And if it inspires you to make better games, hey, I'm happy for it. Good on you. <laughs> Good on you. I'll be checking it out. Um, if you could travel back in time and you could work on any video game in history, is there any game you'd love to have been involved in? Tomb Raiders. <laughs> yeah, good answers. <laughs> good answer. I mean, they're classics, aren't they? They they did change. Uh, they ripped up the rule book, didn't they? I actually I actually got invited to interview with them. Uh, during that during that time period, oh, yeah. shortly after Tomb Raider came out, and it, it was kind of a bizarre experience because uh, I got contacted by them. They said, you know, come meet us to interview, and it was weird because they said, well, come come meet us on a Saturday, and I drove all the way over there, and I got there, place was closed, oh. nobody there. <laughs> wow, that's. Uh, like uh, I'm here, folks, and I I never got a call back. I never got anything. It's like okay, <laughs> that maybe maybe it was like a tomb. <laughs> you had to try and enter and sort of work your way to the job interview. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> I'm only joking. That does sound a bit yeah. funny, a bit weird, to be fair. But there you go. It was it was very very weird. And then you know I was also thinking about you know I'd like to work for uh, Lucas Arts for a while, yeah. but. You know, there was so much instability there, and I'd been contacted by them probably eight times wow. about coming to interview. And I actually came close once. I was up in the Bay Area, and they called me and said, you know, you're up here. You know, please stop by. We'd like to talk to you. Hmm. And what kept nagging on me is the instability of the studio. They, they constantly had mass layoffs. Hmm. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to move from Central California or Southern California to Northern California for a job that, you know, I might lose in three months or four months because they're doing another mass layoff. Yeah. Now, so I, I didn't, you know, I went through that with Spectrum Holobite. It was, it was bad on my family. So I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've spoken to a few people that work at LucasArts. I mean, what a great company, but yeah, I kind of get that impression as well. It wasn't the most <laughs> stable place to work. Um, <laughs> Right, a bit of a random question. Um, if you could be transported to any of your video games you worked on and live there for a day, which game would you choose and why? Oh, live there for a day. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting question. Um, hmm. It's a tough question. 
Yeah, that is a very tough question. Um, I, I would have to say it would have to be uh, Oddworld. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what a game that I, was. <laughs> although, although it would be very dangerous to live there, and I probably wouldn't survive more than a day. <laughs> uh, I mean, for, uh, visually, it's a very stunning place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course it is. It looks amazing. I mean, what a great great PS1 game that was. Great platformer. Um, look, William, it's been a real pleasure. I've, I've loved talking to you today. Um, you know... You've you've been involved in so many huge games. So what what's the current project you're working on? I know you mentioned it earlier. What's the current project? How can our listeners keep up to speed with your work? Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, let's see. How did okay? The the working title for it, and it's not copyrighted yet. Well, it's not copyrighted because I can't use it. it. It's a game called Alien Harvest. Okay. And what it what it is is basically uh, a CNC Command and Conquer style game where you you raise aliens to fight in galactic wars. Wow, that sounds good. I lo- I love Command and Conquer. I love those kind of uh, real time strategy games. So that sounds like a game I'll be checking out. Don't you worry about that. Um, <laughs> have you got a sort of date in mind? Any dates when you hope to get this finished, or is it still all up in the air right now? It's pretty much up in the air. I'm still working on the designs for it. Yeah. And, you know, if, uh, also I'm going to try to find a, a nice artist who can put some good visuals together behind it. Because uh, while, while I do a, a good uh, design document and mm. nice diagrams, um, I don't really consider myself an artist to that level. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, look, we've got one final question because I know you're a busy man. And just, again, so thank you for your time today. Uh, a bit of another random question. If you could share a few drinks and have a have a night out with any video game character, who would you choose and why? Oh. Can I pick two characters? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Laura Croft and Mario. <laughs> <laughs> now, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, Laura Croft has been quite a popular choice over the over the last few years. I won't even lie. <laughs> um Look, well, I just I like I like the story that they built behind Laura Croft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I, I agree. Actually, it was very ahead of its time. The game wasn't it, and the character was quite refreshing um, in that particular sense. No, it's a, it's a fair answer, definitely. Um, look, William, I leave I leave you to it. Thank you so much All for right. your time. <laughs> um, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow 82 and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top tens, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.